0: Aloha, New Hope Legacy. This Sunday, we begin a new series called Laws of the Harvest. Today, Pastor Trenton is teaching on Jesus' parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 9. So, let's dive in. Happy Sunday, everybody. Happy 2024. That still feels weird to say. Anybody wrote the wrong date yet? Has anybody written the right date yet? Maybe that'd be the better question. Has anybody succeeded in putting that four on a check maybe instead of a three yet? I'm still working on that. Well, it's good to see you all here. The holidays, everybody's still recovering. I'm I'm seeing some sort of glazed looks when I talk to the team, when I see folks filtering in. the, The eggnog is slowly wearing off. The roast beef sandwiches, you know, are dwindling in the fridge. The leftover ham and eggs, it's... It's glorious, but oh my word, it takes some time to recover. We did a smoked prime rib in our house this year for Christmas, and I'm telling you what, those French dip sandwiches were amazing. Oh boy, I just had church there all by myself. <laughs> well, It's good to see you all here. And speaking of food, who's, uh, who's uh, participating with us in the fast? We're doing seven days of prayer and fasting this week. We got some folks participating is that a little bit tough right after the holidays? Yeah. Did it maybe help some self-control getting back on track? I know it was beneficial in our house. Fasting is all about giving up something that I want for the sake of strengthening my spirit. It's giving up the things that my flesh desires in order to get me in tune with God. I had this weird idea earlier on in my walk with God that prayer and fasting was about me putting pressure, if you will, exerting pressure on God or obligating him somehow to do what I wanted him to do. You can all laugh. That's okay. God's under no obligation to do what I want him to do. But when I take the time to get my heart in line with him, when I make his desires my desires, when I give up the things that my flesh wants in order to get my spirit in tune with him, good things happen through that. That's what we're doing this year is tithing the first of our year, if you will, to God through this fast. Last week, we talked about soap journaling, the importance of being equipped on our journey and how God has given us all the things that we need on our journey. We have to make use of it. We got to carry our own backpack. We we can't lean on somebody else to carry our backpack for us. But God has equipped us with everything that we need for our journey. Today, we're going to be launching into a new series called Laws of the Harvest. This is something that God's put on my heart from some time back, but I didn't feel it was quite the right time to share. But we use the, the words sowing and reaping and harvest, and we use these metaphors frequently. And usually, I don't know about you, but usually when I hear somebody mention sowing and reaping, I just sort of sit back and, and tune out a little bit because I know inevitably what's going to happen is they're going to ask me for money. Anybody else experience that? I see a couple little polite chuckles. You're, you're a little bit afraid to laugh too loud. It's okay. We can, we can laugh it, the, the funny sort of church quirks. When, when we talk about sowing and reaping, often it's accompanied by this request for money. So what we want to do is go back to the word of God and say, okay, we may have misunderstood a few things on the way about some of these laws in God's word. If somebody tells you lay your hand on your TV and send $1,000, sow your seed, run away, run away to borrow a line from Monty Python. That's not how sowing and reaping works. That's not how the laws of the harvest work. In the Word of God. But how do they work? See, there are laws in God's Word. There are principles that we can apply to our life. And if they don't work the way that we expected, then there's nothing wrong with the principle. God didn't, He didn't have an oopsie moment and say, Oh, I forgot to make that thing work the way I said I was going to in my Word. If it doesn't work the way that we thought it would, then either we're misapplying it or we misunderstood somehow how it was supposed to work in our life. Misunderstanding the laws of the harvest, misunderstanding the principles of sowing sowing and reaping doesn't diminish their importance in our life. It just means we need to understand how to apply them properly in our lives. Now harvest, the idea of a harvest is a big deal. And especially in ancient times, harvests were used to mark time. They were the, the times for celebration. This was when the, all, the, all the blessing came in from the fields. This was when the pantry was full. Life was good at the harvest. And so there were many significant things in ancient cultures around the harvest time. In the Bible, we see festivals and feasts. It was a time to acknowledge divine provision in our life and and often accompanied by rituals or processes in order to show gratitude for the harvest that was being received. We see in the Bible that three of the main Jewish feasts corresponded to harvest time. The Passover feast was right in line with the barley harvest in their culture. The Feast of Pentecost coincided with the harvest of wheat that they would bring in from their fields. The Feast of Tabernacles coincided with a fruit harvest that they would bring in each year. And so harvest times were very important in many cultures. Even here in Hawaii, in ancient Hawaii, we see the the Makahiki time during the year. There was a time to mark the transition from harvest time to the time of sowing. It was marking the end of one season and the beginning of the next one. And there would be dances and competitions and feasts and festivals and, and seeing friends that you hadn't seen in a long time. And according to some sources, at the end of the Makahiki Festival, the, the chief would ride in towards shore on a canoe where he would be greeted by a flurry of spears being thrown his way. And he would have to either deflect or defend himself to prove his worth to be the chief for another year. According to some sources, that was part of the Makahiki festival. I'm glad it doesn't work that way in our house. After Christmas time hits, I'm glad that I don't get greeted at the door with spears being thrown at me to prove my worth to be the the husband and father for another year. I'm I'm kind of glad we don't do those things in our home. It's interesting the ways that people mark the time of the harvest. Now, today we're somewhat detached from the agricultural aspects of harvest. We have some gardeners and some people in the room, but many people in our culture are not out working the fields every day. Many people in our culture don't raise wheat and barley and fruit and all these other things to sustain their family. And so we're, we're somewhat detached from the way that harvest time used to play a role in society. But we expect a harvest. We each need a harvest in our life. We just see it in other ways. And so you might see the results, your increase for the year. You might see that in your Christmas bonus on your paycheck. And I suspect that's probably cause for great celebration in your house. You may see it in your your dividend statement on your 401k or the the investments that you have. You might look at your net worth every now and then and, and look at the increase that God is bringing into your life. And the simple fact is that we all need, we all want increase. Nobody puts their money in the bank expecting to have it shrink over time. Some people have seen it shrink over time, but nobody puts it there with that idea. We we never fund our 401k hoping that it's going to lose value. Nobody invests their life into a company or a cause hoping for no gain and that nobody will benefit from the work that they've invested. We all want a good return on our investment. Now the principles that we find in God's word the laws that we see in God's word are universal they apply to every single part of life have you have you noticed that in God's word his principles don't just work on Sunday morning they work in every part of life I was watching an interview recently, and some of you all know I'm, I'm a, a nerd, for lack of a more elegant way to put it. I love technology and blinking lights and, and buttons and circuitry and so forth. And One of the things that I've been uh, really enjoying watching recently is the way that our world is grappling with the idea of encryption in private communication. So we see WhatsApp and, and different messengers, end-to-end encryption, and governments trying to decide how are we going to interact with people having private communication. I was watching an interview with a politician down in Australia, and they recently passed some legislation outlawing certain forms of encryption. Well, the problem is that encryption is based on math. And once you have a math formula, the math formula still works even if you don't like it. Have you ever noticed that? Some of you that are in school right now, you might not like the math formula that your teacher gives you, but it's still there, it still works. And this reporter was interviewing this Australian politician, and she said, you know, sir, don't you think it's a little bit um, ineffective to outlaw this because it's based on math, and so you're really sort of trying to outlaw the laws of math is what you're really trying to do. And he sort of reared back a little bit. He said, well, the only laws that apply in Australia are Australian laws. Anybody see that interview? Now, we can all sort of chuckle because we understand the absurdity of what he just said. Because we passed a law, suddenly the laws of math don't apply. If we convince our governor to pass a law against gravity, I hate to inform you, but the law of gravity will still apply in Hawaii, no matter how much Hawaii law may outlaw gravity. But sometimes we treat God's laws the same. We look at his laws and we say, well, I see how it applies over here. So on Sunday morning, I'm going I'm to implement the principles, the law from God's word. I'm going to do everything that God's word says. I'm going I'm to seek to implement that here. But this part of my life, oh, that's, that's separate. The only laws that apply in the Johnson house are Johnson laws. Anybody ever tried that before? We probably wouldn't admit it openly. We may not want to even admit it to ourselves, but sometimes that's how we interact with God's word. We're willing to acknowledge his lordship or his laws in one area of our life, but in this area over here, oh that's that's a little different God. This set of laws applies over here. But God's laws apply everywhere. His principles in his word are universal. So the laws of the harvest that we're going to be studying are not just church laws if you will. They also apply in your family. They'll benefit your marriage. They'll they'll strengthen your company. If you're a business owner, they'll help you in your career because the principles that we find in God's word are universal. And our big idea today, if you're taking notes, is that God wants my life. He intends for my life to be fruitful. I encourage you to take notes today. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand and I know one of our ushers will be happy to get that to you but God intends for my life to be fruitful. Now, we've got a couple of hands raised here. Now, it's important in the process of a harvest, or any process really, to understand our role in that process. Have you ever misunderstood your role? You ever struggled to find your place? Have you ever wanted to put somebody else in their place? I think probably every hand could go up on that one. You ever want to put somebody in their place? Well, I heard this little story a while back that I thought was... Kind of amusing. There's this ship at sea going along on a dark and stormy night. Picture it with me, the waves rolling, the wind blowing. This ship is rolling on the waves out on the ocean and the watchman suddenly sounds the alarm. He says, lights ahead, lights ahead. And so the captain comes running and he looks with his binoculars. He sees these lights dead ahead of the ship. And so he gets a hold of the, the, uh, the guy, I'm not a, a Navy person, forgive me, but the guy that sends messages. So they get their light out and they start blinking in, in Morse code out to this light, whatever this other ship is. And the captain of this vessel sends the message, he says, shift your course 10 degrees south. And they wait and the light blinks back. Shift your course 10 degrees north. Well that didn't sit very well. So he he messages back. He sends the message. He says I am a navy captain. And they wait. The light blinks its way back across through the storm. It says I just got hired last week. Shift your course 10 degrees north. He messages back. He says this is a navy destroyer. Comply immediately. And they wait. And the light blinks back across the water. This is a lighthouse. Take your time. See, he misunderstood his role in the process. He thought he understood where he fit in that particular equation, but, but something was very off in the role that he thought he was supposed to play right at that point in time. How many times have we done that in our own lives? We, we think we know the role that we're supposed to play, and then we find out that we're wrong. So we want to understand our role in the harvest. What's our place? And how do we put God in his place Let him play the role that he rightfully plays. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 37, Jesus is speaking. He's talking to his disciples. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Have you ever experienced this in your life? There's a lot of work to be done and not a whole lot of people to do it. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, Jesus is speaking somewhat specifically in this passage about a harvest of souls. He's, he's speaking metaphorically, if you will, the, the spiritual harvest in the kingdom of God. But he, he names something really important in this short verse when he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. That word Lord that he uses literally means master or owner. In other words, whatever the harvest is that we're looking at, there's somebody that owns that harvest. I don't get to just walk up to a random field out alongside the road and say, that looks like a nice harvest. Thank you very much. I think I'll have that now. Some people have tried that from time to time. We call them criminals. We got a very special place that we put them. There's a lord of the harvest. There's a master. There's an owner who owns The harvest and he's the one who calls the shots he's the one that sends the laborers into the field he's the one that supplies the workers necessary to reap the harvest it's easy to see our place in that passage he's speaking metaphorically about the kingdom clearly i'm not the lord of god's kingdom that's why it's god's kingdom so he's the lord of the harvest but but what about the other areas of my life Well, Psalm 24 and verse 1 sort of just simplifies the entire thing for us. In Psalm 24, 1, Scripture says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. That means the earth is his, the the contents of the earth are his, everything on the earth is his, everybody on the earth are his. That just sort of sums the whole thing up together. If you're on the earth, if the harvest that you're looking at is on the earth, it's his. And just a little side note, that sort of includes all of creation. If you go plant a crop on the moon or maybe Mars. Did you watch that movie, the guy growing potatoes on the moon or on Mars? Um, Those were God's too. Just throwing that in there, a little side tangent for you. Those still belong to God. He is the Lord of the harvest. Thought number one for you, if you're taking notes, God is the master of the harvest. God is the master of the harvest. And the owner gets to call the shots. How many of you have played with a toddler before? Anybody ever sat down and played Hot Wheels or maybe rolled a ball back and forth? You ever done that? It's kind of an interesting experience. We have a toddler in our house. If you'd ever like to borrow him, um, he's available. Feel free. It's interesting playing with a toddler because they have a very specific idea of ownership. See, in a toddler's mind, if I like it, it's mine. If I see it, it's mine. If I once held it, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If you put it down, it's mine. If it's broken, it's yours. That's, that's the way that it works when you have a toddler in the house. And I love watching toddlers play because they'll be rolling the ball back and forth and everybody is the owner. Have you ever noticed that? They roll the ball and suddenly the owner now is the one holding the ball. No, it's my ball. And then they'll, they'll roll it back. Well, no, now it's my ball. And, and so everybody in the group is the owner. Sometimes, you and I have the same attitude. We receive the things that God blesses us with. We we interact with the things that God gives us the privilege of interacting with, and we begin to think that we're the owner. But the truth is that you and I are not the owner. We've merely been entrusted with some things that still belong to God. We're the steward, if you will. That's not a word that we use very much in modern language, But the steward was somebody who was in charge of the estate, the estate manager, if you will. Maybe that's a word that would be more familiar in our language today. And especially on an island with a lot of resorts and and high-end estates and homes, the estate manager, if you will, is the role that we've been called to play. But God is still the master of the harvest. We're merely the steward. He's the authority. He's the one who calls the shots. Now, our society has started to to get this notion, it seems, from time to time, that authority is a bad word. Have you ever noticed that? Authority is bad. Those that are in authority are bad. If you have authority, you're bad. I'm glad I could inform you today, you're bad. Authority is bad. And I was actually hanging out on Reddit recently, and and I found this really interesting little community called the Anti-Work subreddit. Anybody seen those folks before? They're a special group of people, really unique folks. And I, I got to hang out on there and watching some of what they were saying. And, and you know, yes, some people have a really difficult time at their job, but, but these folks take it to a new level. It's, if, you, if you are employed by anybody, anywhere, for any reason, at any rate of pay, that's a bad situation to be in. You shouldn't be in that situation. It's amazing. A large part of maturity is accepting the fact that we are under authority. Authority is just the way that God created the world. And since he is the, the authority, he gets to make that decision. That's how it works. The Lord, the master, calls the shots even when we don't like it. If your boss comes to you and says, I'd like to have that pile of lumber move from, from that area over to here, he's the authority. And I suggest if you value your paycheck that you somehow work to accomplish the fact that the lumber needs to move from there over to hear. That's, that's how it works when you're under authority. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells an interesting story. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he, he shares this parable about a landowner who went out and planted a field full of wheat. I don't know why he had enemies. Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about the, the owner of this field, but after he had planted the field with wheat, Scripture says that his enemy came in the night and sowed weeds throughout the field. We don't have a lot of dandelions in Hawaii, but some of y'all will be familiar with taking a dandelion and blowing on it and watching all the seeds go. And if you're a father, you just love to see that. It just warms your heart to see all those dandelion seeds wafting through the air onto your lawn that you've carefully manicured. It's a glorious experience. This enemy went out and blew some dandelion seeds on the field after it had been planted with wheat. The workers eventually noticed these weeds sprouting up among the wheat. They, they knew what baby wheat looked like, and here's something else that isn't weed, looks a lot more like a dandelion. So they went to the, the owner of the field, and they said, Hey, boss, uh, somebody blew some dandelion seeds all over the field. We're going to go out there and weed that and take care of it for you. And he said, No, 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 stop. Don't, don't do that. You're going to let those weeds grow. Now, if you've ever worked in agriculture, has your boss ever come to you and said, please just let the weeds grow. Water them carefully, tend, tend them just like you do the wheat. Take care of those weeds, pour your heart into them. Those are some special weeds right there. I want them to flourish. And I guarantee you nobody's ever had that conversation before. But the owner said, don't pull the weeds. See, the weed is so young that you're going to damage the wheat if you start pulling the weeds up. And I can just imagine this interchange between the owner and his workers. And the the owners, the the, the workers, I can just imagine saying, you know what, I have a problem with this. Uh, Number one, in your word, God, you said that we're not supposed to mix seeds in the same field. I don't know if you know that, but in the Old Testament, it was illegal for them to mix crops in the same field. This was against the word of God to, to cultivate a field that had more than one type of seed growing in it. This is wrong. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's wasteful. You know how much water I'm going to have to carry to water all these weeds until harvest time? Do you have any idea how much stress this adds on my plate? Do you know how we're going to look in the community when people start noticing this field full of weeds that we're raising? Do you understand how my reputation as an agricultural worker is going to take a hit? We can't do this. Master, we can't can't water the weeds. we got to pull those. we got to take care of the problem. And the owner says, that's my problem. You just keep watering and keep working. But do you understand how much work you're causing? It doesn't matter. You just keep watering and keep working. Do you understand, Master? It doesn't matter. You keep watering and you keep working. The weeds are my issue. See, the owner had a purpose. He knew that the value of the wheat at harvest was greater than the loss of labor to cultivate the weeds a little longer. The owner had a purpose. He had a plan in mind, and the harvest is owned by him. The Lord of the harvest is the one who owns the field. He gets to call the shots, even when we don't understand. We're just invited to play a role and keep working and keep watering. Thought number two for you, if you're taking notes. The master expects to receive value from the harvest. Now, almost always, almost without exception, when I hear people talk about sowing and reaping, they're talking about personal benefit. We talk about sowing into this area of my life. I'm looking for that return on investment. If I talk about sowing into this thing, I'm looking for how it's going to help my bank account or my retirement account. I'm looking for personal benefit in that. I never go to my Edward Jones Uh, guy down the street here to talk about my retirement account. I never go in there and say, hey, um, could you tell me which fund that I've invested in has done the most um, uh, beneficial good for Africa this year? Can you tell me which of the funds that I've invested in have made the biggest difference in the homeless community of the Big Island? I've, I've never had that conversation because when I talk about sowing and reaping, I'm looking for personal benefit. Now, I care about The continent of Africa. I care about the homeless community here on the Big Island. But when I'm talking about sowing and reaping, I'm expecting, I'm wanting a personal benefit in that process. There is benefit, there is value that we receive from the harvest, and we're going to get into that later on in the series. But for today, we need to start by simply acknowledging who the harvest belongs to. Who's the master of the harvest? What are the roles that play in the story? In Matthew chapter number 25, we find another interesting little story that Jesus told. This has been referred to as the parable of the talents. In Matthew 25, starting in verse 14, we read these words, Jesus speaking. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. Now, when I was growing up and I heard this story, I I just envisioned it sort of being like my mom giving us our allowance, you know, each Monday when we'd finish our chores, hopefully we finished our chores or we didn't get allowance. And I'd imagine this, this master taking off on his trip. He's got all his suitcases packed. He's out there doling out these dollar bills you know to his workers and handing out okay here's $5 for you here's $10 for you. So just out of curiosity this week I went I looked up what was a bag of silver worth. In some translations of scripture this is referred to as a talent. What was a talent of silver worth? You know how much that's worth in today's money? 20 years worth of wages. The average wage here in Hawaii is about 107,000 a year. Some of y'all are saying, wait, where'd that average come from? I don't know. I saw it published online, so it must be true. At $107,000 a year, 20 years of wages equals $2.1 million for one talent. Let's just round that down to $2 million so the math is easy for me. $2 million this guy is handing out to the lowest paid servant in his household. And he's handing them out. The, the first one, he gets $2 million. The second one gets $4 million. The last one, $10 million. Can you imagine your boss walking up to you and saying, hey, I got to go on vacation. Could you, could you just take care of this $10 million for me while I'm gone? I've never had that happen. I don't know about you. These had to have been people he had confidence in. These had to have been people that there was some trust already established. You don't walk up and hand somebody $2 million if you don't know something about them and their worth or their ability. You don't do that. He had huge confidence in them. The master takes off on his trip. He goes and does his thing. I don't know. Maybe he went to the Bahamas. Maybe he had a new yacht to go try out. I don't know where he was or what he was doing, but he went on this long trip. And he comes back home and he meets with the same three servants and And he he calls them to give an account of what they had done, what had transpired while he was gone. The first one comes in. He says, well, Master, you gave me $10 million, and I invested it. And I doubled my money. You got $20 million. I don't know about you, but a 100% return on my investment, I'd say that's doing pretty well. My 401K doesn't do that. $20 million, this servant puts back in his master's hands. Well done. Awesome job. That was phenomenal. Good work. I knew I could trust you. He calls the second servant in. Well, master, you gave me $4 million to work with, and I invested, and I worked with it. I, I put the money to work for me, and, and here's $8 million. I doubled your money, master. This this guy knew how to pick folks. However he had trained his servants to invest, he must have invested some time into training them how to handle money. Eight million dollars this guy puts back in his hands. This servant is talented at investing money. The master says, phenomenal job. You know what, you did so well. I'm going to invest even more in you. Here's more money that I'm going to entrust to you. Well done. The last servant comes in. He says, well, here, Master, um, just cleaning off this bag of silver, it's, it's got some dirt on it because I, when I buried it in the garden, I made sure it was in a really safe place. It was a super safe corner of the garden where I buried it, and here's your $2 million bag. I kept it safe. I didn't misuse it. I didn't lose it. It's all there for you. We read, starting in verse 24 in Scripture, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. And I can just imagine him sort of patting himself on the back. I didn't lose a penny, Master. It's all there. You can count it. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money at the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from the servant, give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they're given, more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ouch, that's not a very happy ending to the story, Jesus. Yeah, but it's his story, so, I, you know, take it up with him. That's how this story ends. Now, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of hard. Why would this master come in? I mean, even the idea of his servants looking at him and saying, I know you're harsh, I know you're demanding, I know you reap where you didn't sow, you, you gather crops that you didn't cultivate. This doesn't even really sound like the nice sort of guy you would want to interact with. What's up with this? But see, it's not unfair. All the way up in verse 15, we see this little phrase that really sort of puts the whole story into context. Verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. See, he didn't just hand it to them and say, hey, I sure hope you do well with this. I sure hope you know what to do with $2 million. No, he picked servants that he knew could handle it. He knew their ability, he knew their capacity to handle the responsibility that he was giving them. And then he trusted them with that responsibility. This was a man who invested. He knew how to make money work for him. You want to know why he gathered crops he didn't cultivate? Because he knew how to invest. He knew how to make his wealth work for him. He didn't have to be the one out in the field doing the work because he was a man who understood investing and entrusting responsibility to responsible people. The servant comes back. He says, Master, I did really good. I didn't, I didn't misuse it. I didn't let anybody steal it. I protected it. I guarded it with my life. I did, I did a good job for you, Master. He says, yeah, you didn't misuse it, but neither did you use it. I didn't put this in your hands to be guarded. I put it in your hands to be invested, to be used for my benefit because I'm the owner and this was the responsibility that I entrusted to you. See, the master has expectations on those that he entrusts things to. He expects to receive a return on the trust that he gives. You might say... Wow, that's, that's kind of heavy. God has expectations for my life? Yeah, he does. He wants to receive benefit from the harvest. The, the, the investment that he's made in your life, he wants to receive value from the work that you do because he knows your capability. He knows what you can handle. He's, he's entrusted things to you that he knows you have it within you to use what he's given you for his benefit and for his glory. And he's the Lord, not us. Now see, here's the thing that gives me hope in that. Because I look at the things that God has entrusted to me and I can start to almost feel a little bit hopeless. When I look at the situations that God allows me to go through, when I look at the the amazing things he has entrusted to me, I can start to almost get a little bit discouraged and say, God, I I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can handle that. I don't think I can give you 100% return on your investment. I don't, I don't think I have that in me, God. But thought number three for you, if you're taking notes, the master is the one who brings the growth. See, he expects growth. He expects increase in his investment. And he's the one who supplies the growth and the increase. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses six through seven, Paul is speaking again about the kingdom of God and specifically in ministry. He says, I planted, Apollos watered. That was another guy that he interacted with in ministry. But catch this, God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. See, the master of the harvest is the one who owns the field. He's the one who supplies the grain. We'll talk more about that later in the series. He's the one who hires the workers. He's the one who entrusts responsibility. But he's also the one who brings the growth. And he doesn't demand something that he's not willing to supply. Just as this master in the story about the talents entrusted unimaginable wealth to his servants... God has entrusted you and I with unfathomable wealth in our lives. You may look at me and say, well, my bank account doesn't agree. Well, your life does. When you think about the life that God has entrusted to you, the years that he's entrusted to you here on earth, the relationships that he has entrusted and put in your hands, when you think about the job, the career, the income that he's entrusted to you, When you think about the possessions, the things that he's allowed you to have and to experience, unfathomable wealth that God has entrusted to every single one of us according to our ability. When I look at my children, I say, God, there's unfathomable wealth there. The the responsibility, the trust that you have bestowed on me to take care of these boys that you've given me to raise. I remember at the hospital when my first son came home, Kavika, we're standing there and they do the little car seat test and make sure he fits in the car seat and get him all bundled in with blankets and you can't hardly see him because the blankets are bigger than he is. He was about that big when we brought him home. And I remember standing there as we're getting ready to load into the taxi back to the airport because he was born in Honolulu. We're bundling them all in and we got our, our diaper bag and I'm not even sure what's in the diaper bag because I've never used one before and here's the car seat and I'm trying to figure out how the buckle's worth and I, I, I look at the nurse, I said, well, is, is there like a paper I have to sign or something? She said, no, you're good. I said, wait, you don't need a signature? There, there's a human life here. You're just like sending home with me. Is, you don't even need a signature? I have to sign for my Amazon Prime package when it arrives and I don't have to sign for a kid to come home from the hospital. Said, no, you're good. Just go ahead. He didn't even come with an owner's manual. I asked for one. Got a really weird look from the nurse on that one. When you think about the things that God has entrusted into your life, the things that he said, you know what, I know your ability. I know the gifting. I know the capacity that I have put within you, and I'm going to entrust this to you. It'll blow your mind. But see, it's not just for your benefit. He's expecting a return on the investment, the trust that he's placed in your life. And the question isn't whether you've been entrusted with the same amount as somebody else. You may look at the person next to you and say, well, God must trust them more than me. I don't think so. I think he trusts all of his children equally, but I, but I think he knows our capacity. I think he knows our ability to do well with what he's given us. And so the question isn't what has he entrusted to you. The question is, have you determined to honor him, to glorify him with the thing that he's entrusted to you? Have you chosen to be trustworthy with the things he's put in your hands? That's our challenge today. Before we get into the rest of the laws of the harvest, before we understand how sowing and reaping works or anything else, we gotta understand who are we in the process of it? Who's the Lord, who's the master of the harvest? And what's the role that he's called me to play? And am I willing to play the role that he's called me to play in the harvest? What are you doing with the seeds that he's put in your hands? What are you doing with the abilities that he's placed within you, with the relationships that he's entrusted to your care? What are you doing with the trust from the master? See, it's not without purpose. He didn't just wake up one morning and say, yeah, I think I'm just going to sprinkle a couple million over here and Throw a couple bags of silver out that way and just see what happens. No, no, no. He has a plan. He has a purpose. There's value that he's looking to have grown and developed and returned for his glory. There's a purpose. He's not going to bless you beyond your capacity, but he's not looking for you to just guard and protect the things that he's given you either. He's looking for you to use it. He's saying, no, no, it's not enough to just bury it in a corner of the garden. It's not enough to return it to me and dust the dirt off and say there god I didn't I didn't damage any of it. No, but what did you use it for? Did you use it for my glory? Did you return some value for the trust that I put in you? Cuz I have a plan. I have a purpose. I'm the master. I'm the owner of the harvest. You work, you water, And you'll see what I can do. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you for the blessings that you've given each one of us. Thank you for entrusting us with such unimaginable wealth and blessing in every part of our lives. Help us to see the value of what you've entrusted to us. And Lord, help us to understand our place in this process that we're not the owner, we're not the Lord in any part of our life. You are the Lord of the harvest, you're the master. You're the owner of it all. And there's a reason why you've entrusted these things to us. It's not so that we can just guard it carefully and preserve what you've given us, but it's so that we can put it to work, so that we can watch it grow, so that we can develop it. And someday so we can stand before you and say, God, thank you for trusting me. I'm not perfect. I might have even dropped some pieces of silver on the way, but Lord, here's what I did with what you gave me. And now... Here's what I can give back to you to see you be glorified through that. And so this week, Lord, as we go, I pray that you would help us to to grasp that, to understand what it means to work for the Lord of the harvest. And help us to be brave enough to say, okay, God, you know my capacity, you know my ability far better than I do. And so you've put this thing in my hand and I'm gonna choose to trust you that you know what you're doing. And I'm gonna put it to work for you. I'm gonna develop the abilities, the blessings that you've given me. I thank you, Lord, for the principles of your word that they apply in each part of our life. Help us this week to apply your word, not just here at church, but in our families, in our marriages, on the job, in our businesses, Lord. And I thank you for the wisdom that we find in your word as we choose to honor you each day. Bring us back safely next week, I pray, to continue learning and growing in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go with God, New Hope. Thank you for joining us here once again for the New Hope Legacy podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check out this week's announcements. I know that we have several soap groups starting up very soon. You can do that on our website at newhopelegacy.com or on our app. See you next week.